good. I'm a bit of a bit of a fan of both of you. <laughs> so I'm a little nervous. So forgive me if I'm just sitting here staring. It's like driving up to a city in the prairies. You see the the twelve story towers like from one hundred thousand miles away, and you think you're almost there. <laughs> but I had a whole I had a whole conversation with my mom yesterday, who basically said, "Don't come home. You're not allowed to come home. You're better off in Canada. You're safer in Canada." Wings and fries. We caught out a day night. Lights on, so out. I don't have no stage fright. Knew that I was built for this forever, ever, ever. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. This is an exciting episode. We have the Terry Green and Amory Scott on the show. And uh, such a pleasure to have you both. Terry, this is your second time back. And Amory, this is your first time on the show. Thank you it so is. much. Thank you for I'm excited me. to be back. Thanks for having me back. No, I'm excited to have you. I was just saying uh, off air uh, how much of a fan I am of both of you. And uh, I'm a little nervous. I'll be honest, a little nervous. So we'll see where it goes. But uh, you, you said the Terry Green. Okay. Yesterday, uh, we just had the uh, season of The Simpsons just kind of playing in the background all day. And it reminded me, always growing up, I'm not the Terry Green because there's a dialogue sound editor that worked on The Simpsons. Terry Green, E on the end. Um, so that, that's got to be the Terry Green. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm penultimate at best. You're, you're the Terry Green too. How about yeah. we do that? There we go. The other one. There we go. The other Terry Green. The other the Terry education Green. Terry Green. The open Terry Green. The, ooh, that works. The open Terry Green. He's always open. Just knock. Come on in. Well, uh, I'm not after bedtime. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mercy. Speaking of bed, like, are you, are you a night person or a morning person, Terry? Um, I'm a, yeah, not night, not a not night, night person. It, like if we get like, once you get the kids, getting the kids to bed is like defeating a, a video game boss, like winning a, a <laughs> battle, a level of a very like not fun video game. And then you're just like, I'm done. Me too. Oh, I want to sleep yeah. too. That looks fun. I want to sleep too. That looks like fun. I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how many kids you got, Terry? You got a couple. Three, right? three, three girls. Three girls. What's yeah. the ages? Uh, two, six, and seven. Nice. The six and seven are actually like eighteen months apart, but so yeah. sometimes they're two years apart. Sometimes they're one year apart. It yeah. seems. Yeah, we got the same phenomenon in our house. My second, well, first girl and second girl, they're. 13 months apart but if you look on like school calendars and stuff they're two years so right yeah no exactly same deal cool emory how you doing i'm good thank you how are you i'm doing glorious for a morning <laughs> I, yeah I, it must be the same time for you as it is for me it is yeah it is same time same color outside is it raining or snowing up there in uh, wonderful? Uh, it seems to be dry at the moment, but I mean it's yeah. dark, so it might yeah. be it might be snowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I woke up this morning and it was uh, it was not happy rain. Let's just put it that way, not happy rain. So I am uh, well acquainted with rain. <laughs> yeah. I've been it's damp not, for most of my life. <laughs> been, yeah, I don't think I've ever dried out. <laughs> really actually bizarrely going to edmonton that drives me out <laughs> oh yeah no you it, love it it's very dry it, it is very dry, dry cold it's a dry, it's a dry cold, cold. It? yeah you've it heard that cold. it is still uh bone chillingly will kill you in five minutes cold but exactly. it is dry. yeah it is dry. exactly yeah when everybody says that to me oh yeah it's a dry cold I'm like dude 
minus 40 is freaking cold. Don't give me this dry, cold garbage, right? Like, ah, I hate that. But uh, yeah, I was born in Edmonton. Didn't stay long there. Didn't stay long. Give um, me neither, as it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I stayed the longest, probably. I was there for 15 years, I think. Oh, sorry. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thank you. There you go. I did Come live on. in Tuk Tuk Tuk, though, if you know where oh, that is. Oh, wow. Yep. I North. did live in Tuk 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 when I was a kid. My, actually, the, the long story, shorter, is my dad was a power line technician, power lines, you know, that kind of thing. We were going to go to Libya uh, in the early seventies, we were going to, my dad was going to take the whole family there to work. And that's when Qaddafi took over the country. And my dad went, um, maybe not. We'll go up North. (laughs) So we went, we went from the potential of going to a really nice, you know, Mediterranean kind of climate to yeah. Northwest territories. Not that I had much to say in the fact, because I was only like two. But it's still coastal, <laughs> isn't it? It's still coastal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, know for it, what six months of the year, and then yeah. it's on an ice floe for six months. Of yeah, the year. that's it, pretty much. I mean, it was the most northern town in Canada that was non-military at the time. I'm not sure if it still is that, but I mean, I think it had a population of like 200 people or something crazy like that. But they were putting in some mines and stuff, so we were there wow. for three or four years, and then we moved down. So still remember some of it. But crazy crazy cold dry cold huh dry cold (laughs) dry cold it's it's like super dry cold it's like like dry ice cold right yeah you get your your forecast in kelvin degree degrees instead (laughs) that's right that's right oh mercy and yeah, there'll be days where my dad didn't go to work because it was just too cold like with the wind chill it was like minus 60 plus like just stupid cold but uh Anyway, sounds terrible. Have, oh, like I said, I'm glad I was young because I don't remember too much of it. I do remember the tons of snow, and uh, I remember seeing the train go through, oh, and and all you could see was the plume of smoke because the the snow banks were so high. And uh, well, that would we, be cool to see. I'd love to visit. I'd love to go up there and see it. Yeah, but that's it's beautiful that's for the two months that there's cool. no snow, right? Yeah. But uh, it's. Uh, yeah, and I remember and daylight, going, I guess. And daylight, yeah. Like I remember going fishing with my dad and my grandpa, and my dad's like, Okay, I gotta get back home. I gotta work in the morning. And my grandpa's like, Well, it, it can't be any later than seven or eight. My dad's like, Ah, actually it's like eleven a.m. eleven p.m. Wow. It, the sun never set, right? Yeah. And uh crazy. But uh and we had a we had a dog that lived beside us, a husky, like a purebred. And, uh, and I'm, I'm doing all the talking on my podcast. Like just in the, house, the next house over had a husky as the, the live person living in it. Sorry. The, your neighbor was a husky. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Well, he was actually, he was. And, cool. uh, cause, cause the, his owner was, uh, was a guy who worked at the mine and my dad took him out. Uh, how we had is the neighbor had the sled, the whole thing. And, uh, we took him out dog sledding. Crazy. Our groceries got flown in by, by plane. Think about that when it comes time for Christmas and the turkey, right? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, enough of my sordid life. How are you? How are you both? As good as can be, I think, in a, in a lockdown. Yeah. How, how's yeah. the lockdown treating you at Trent? At Trent, well, we've been, um, even, I remember like knowing even before I began working there that they were pretty good at being proactive about, yeah we won't be in fall. We won't be in winter. We won't be, oh, yeah. it'll all be remote there. 
they're not messing around, which was nice to know. Um, but yeah, so, but right now the, you know, all the, the elementary schools are locked down too. So I can hear, um, you know, live grade two, just up the four stairs here and live grade one is going on upstairs and it's uh the teachers are doing great um like just they don't know how to teach online yet but they're you know just getting in there and asking all the right questions they need to figure things out yeah it's uh but it's it's tough uh you should see the the chat the the typed chat in a grade two classes is hilarious because <laughs> They're just writing each other's names over and over and over and <laughs> holding a letter down so that it's popped in 6,000 times. And it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny. And Lord help you if they find an emoji. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, mercy. And Marie, how you doing? How's the lockdown treating you at Athabasca? Well, <laughs> I made the bizarre move of changing to work in a fully online university two months before this all hit so yeah. before they were all fully online <laughs> before the whole of the rest of the world joined what we do so yeah for us the big impact really is is on the professional and admin staff all of our faculty have been remote for years as well so so yeah as of january january no march last year we flipped to become a remote distributed workforce um and that's that's the point at which I made myself more remote and distributed from Edmonton as well. So um, <laughs> we spent most of last year kind of we knew this like like Terry was saying, we kind of could see the long term of this. And so didn't decide to just go home for a few weeks and hope that we'd all be back in offices, but started the business of kind of digging in. Um, and we'd already kind of decided that in sort of four to five years time, we'd start moving to become a near virtual university and more of our admin staff would work remotely as well. Just you can employ a wider range of people if you do that. Um, and a lot of our people want to be in different places for, for their own personal reasons. So, so that's all kind of happened. We're now in official transition to that place by December of this year. So a lot of what we're doing now for some people is how it's always going to be, including me. <laughs> so there's no, there's no going back for your admin staff or anything. It's there, there, everybody's remote. So what's going to happen to the buildings? Are you just going to sell them? And them. <laughs> I'm moving in. To the moving in. <laughs> a bunch of new frat houses coming up every once in a row, everywhere, but. Uh, I mean, so, some people will, but yeah, lots of people probably won't. And um, we we rent our buildings in Edmonton and um, Calgary, and there had already been discussions about do we have the right buildings? Um, you know, leases were coming up for renewal, so there'd been quite a bit of talk of consolidation or or considering new props. So that's all kind of now all in the mix. Um, and as we work who needs to be back in offices and where we need offices and what do we actually need offices for. So our, our offices used to also provide an exam centre function for our students. Um, and the one in Edmonton, certainly the exam centre's on the 12th floor of a building that now has a two-person per elevator capacity. Oh, mercy. <laughs> and the rooms are not huge. You know, we used to be right. able to pack them in like sardines to some extent, um, you know, for, for taking exams and you know enough space that you couldn't see each other's screens but now of course you can get about three people per room or something stupid so uh, all of those facilities are closed right now and 
again, we just realized that they're not ideal facilities. Um, and actually that building was right in the middle of town, it's right in the downtown core. So it's hellish for parking, um, you know, so it's, but you know, for students coming to take an exam, it's kind of a crappy location because it's really expensive to get to. So. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> for sure. And, and expensive so, for rent too. I mean, even though it's Edmonton and Calgary, right. But it's not like Vancouver, you know, West end, but still expensive. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's most of the rest of the buildings, I think got government of Alberta agencies in it. Um, oh yeah. Well, they don't pay yeah. rent anywhere they go. So <laughs> <laughs> they just show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do, um, gonna, go ahead, sorry. Man. Sorry. I'm, no. Just one quick question. Anne Marie, the, um, the place where you reside, do you, um, do, do people need, need to live in Canada or what, how does that work for? At, well, that's, or, or that's, a really, <laughs> that's a really excellent question, Teddy. And one that I'm waiting to find out the answer to as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the moment, at the moment you still need to generally live in Alberta. I mean, our faculty have been distributed across Canada for years. Um, to live outside of Alberta, you still have to have special institutional permission because for particularly for um, union positions, they're all largely members of Alberta public sector unions. So there's some complication there that I don't fully understand and don't pretend to. Um, so, um, yeah, at the moment, um, you, you have to live in Alberta um, largely. But yeah, Canada is okay. Um, and after that, I, I don't know, actually. I mean, I, I had people in my team at Edinburgh who worked in parts of Europe. And one of the things that was starting to get tricky was taxation, where you're going to end up having to pay double tax. Um, and that's, that's, that's what gets complicated if you have people working outside the country. Um, you can end up, as an individual, you can end up being subject to two different tax regimes, depending on what kind of arrangements are in place between different countries. So. Such so. fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it, gets, it gets me thinking, like, so if I had a mailing address in Edinburgh, but let's say I vacationed, quote unquote, in, <laughs> I don't know, Greece. <laughs> <laughs> well in the past that wouldn't have been a problem because we were yeah. all members of the european union of course sure january, january the first this year i lost citizenship of 26 countries oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just start tossing those passports away right oh, or all those extra man. stickers and stamps right oh well they're just you know one passport used to get me across the whole of europe i could live work vote with just that british passport but now nope Nope. nope. Now people just laugh when they see it. <laughs> but I had a whole I had a whole conversation with my mum yesterday who basically said, Don't come home. You're not allowed to come home. You're better off in Canada. Oh. Is that a personal Canada. reason or political? <laughs> yeah, just, just I don't want to see you again if I don't have you. <laughs> um, Finally got you out of the country. Don't come back. <laughs> partly political, I think. Um she just yeah, I wish she can see how things are gonna be in the UK for the next few years and I mean public health right now is her is her main thing she made me promise last year when coronavirus really kicked in that I would stay in Canada because she thought it was safer 
Well, we, so. yeah, we can stay farther apart from each other. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take the population of London and throw it across, you know, whole country. No big deal. Wow. All right. What have you guys been up to lately? There's this little OL thing that uh, has creeped up on the radar. What's Very that all about? Books. Uh, <laughs> I was checking the stats because um, I got access to the stats of my, I have three podcasts at the moment. Um, You're an animal hit, theory. We just hit the triple digits, Anne-Marie, with a hundred listeners of Check the OL. Nice. You know, I'm pretty sure that's as high as a podcast can ever go. Like no one's had more than that, right? No. <laughs> you want the, uh, the synopsis of yeah. what it is? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll give you the origin story. Um, yeah. I started working at Trent in June at university. Uh, as a e-learning designer and we went straight into like trying to fully build out 10 courses between uh, a couple of us over the summer. So I was doing a lot of just thinking and typing and thinking and stuff. Um, not a lot of collaboration still, but plenty of time just focus. So I started listening a lot um, to a lot of music. And uh, lately I'd been getting back into more and more hip hop. And I find it an excellent genre to hear while you're working away on stuff. Keeps me going, motivated, excited. And uh, so in my all my spare reading time, I was getting more and more interested in who is making the music and stuff. And I found this book and it's called uh, Check the Technique. And I don't have it right behind me. Um, <clears throat> but the, li- the, um, the tagline is kind of like, um, liner notes from groundbreaking hip hop albums. So not the biggest hits ever, but ones that kind of pushed the barriers and did things a little differently and, and made things, you know, innovative. Um, so reading it, I was just hearing about all these albums, albums I knew, but also albums I'd never heard of that I have since really started listening to and, and being interested in. And it was just, uh, I really dug the, um, the format of it. It's a really interesting way to hear the stories of how great things were made. And so I, I had a kind of a flash of insight that online learning could use something like this. Stories of how groundbreaking, innovative online learning that kind of pushed the barriers and did something fresh and new um, came to be. And what, as Anne-Marie, I think, pointed out when we first started talking, like what obstacles they overcame you know, ones you didn't think of and, and, and presenting them in a kind of less academic way, more storytelling kind of way, a narrative kind of way. Um, so we plan to make a book together because I, I ran the idea by you and Marie and, and you said, that sounds cool. Want some help? And I said, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> let's do this. So um, <clears throat> as we chatted about, you know, we put out a, uh, a form to collect ideas of what, who, what people think are the um, most innovative or groundbreaking online learning. And so, and even some pushback, like what's a course, what's this, what's that um, was interesting. And we got a nice big list and we had, you know, plans to start writing. And then um, we kind of had another thought that um, we're going to do the reverse um, Martin Weller <laughs> Uh, the 25 years of tech <laughs> where he, okay. So he blogged out 
the t- each thing for t- the 25 years and then put it into a book. And then it became an audiobook slash podcast. So I liked the idea of going multimedia. So then we kind of talked about, well, what if we kind of did it in reverse? Let's podcast out these, uh, a chat with the people behind them, which was what the, the book, Check the Technique, I guess I should, you know, shout out to the authors, Brian Coleman. He would, you know, get in touch with the, the artists, the producers and the, the rappers and, and hear their stories of how things came together. And they tell the story and then outline each, each, in each specific song. And anyway, um, so we thought let's have those chats with, for example, we started with Laura Gibbs. She's on Twitter. She's the online course lady. She's been doing it forever. And uh, so we chat with her. She tells us about her course, how it works, what inspired her, where she went from there, how changes she'd made. And we get to hear that story uh, in an interview. And so we're at this, this point of the process is we've got uh, a third episode of, well, four episodes because we did an intro one. Uh, I just was um, editing it just before we came on with uh, Alan Levine and um, Mia Zamora about NetNAR, Network Narratives. So that's the next one. So doing it this way, we're slowly getting more people to listen and give us more ideas of where to go next. And then ultimately we'll be like, go back to Laura Gibbs and write it out into a chapter and then pass it to Anne-Marie to make it make sense. (laughs) 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 I think is probably how it will work, maybe. Um, And the fun thing about doing it this way is we can, you know, uh, we're kind of going with a metaphor that online learning is like hip hop because it's so, um, you know, it, it, it's remixable. You can bring in other, uh, influences. You can, um, uh, there's, there's a lot of, of, uh, analogies and metaphors that, that work with it. So we also get to play some hip hop. The, gang, or the gangster violence parallel is pretty strong as well. I think. What's that? I said the gangster violence parallel yes, is yeah, pretty strong yeah, as well. Yes. <laughs> Online learning is gangsta for sure. <laughs> No, I, I was meaning more like the violence, really. I mean, violence. <laughs> I just no, I just think about some of the some of the battles that happen in online education, the grudge matches and the oh, factions. There sh- there, that's <laughs> true. It really does happen. Yeah, it really does. I mean, we should have like uh, guns, so, somehow but... have online learning diss tracks at each other and stuff like that. <laughs> the B side of OER learning. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's so that's where ahead. we're at. Okay. That's very cool. Emery, what did you think of this process? Like, have you been a part of a podcast before? I haven't. No. Um, and I have to say it's a genius idea on Terry's part. Um, the, the, the way you've kind of sold it to me is how, how about we get started this way was once we start doing it and once people realize how cool it is, more people will come forward. And I, I, to some extent, like we had this great list of, of courses to start with, but quite a lot of them are people we don't know. So how do you convince them to talk to two people they've probably never heard of? Whereas having the podcast, having a tangible thing, having something that they can go and listen to, maybe at some point they think that's really cool. I want to be on that. Um, a little bit, you know, peer pressure, whatever. Um, I that's think what that, we're 
the <laughs> it's totally what we're, what we're doing. <laughs> wow, me as a Morris on that. I want to be just like her. Let me on that podcast. <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it, that that's been a total genius move on Terry's part. And for me, like we've done, well, as you say, Terry, three of them now, not including the, the intro one we did. Yep. Already I can start to see some kind of cross-cutting themes, like the extent to which people's course ideas are inspired by metaphors or um, practices or knowledge that's nothing to do with online learning. Um, the ideas that are sitting behind the design of all of these courses are, are brilliant, mm-hmm. but not at all what you think they might be and definitely nothing to do with technology. Yeah, um, like the uh, the second one with Bonnie Stewart, the Antigonish 2.0, is all inspired by a 150-year-old uh, community movement from the Maritimes that ended up getting credit unions built. <laughs> like, that's oh, what the first we, one, yeah. where Laura's thinking about the structure of folklore and tales and how they're told over and past and communicated across networks of people. And so she builds this course, which is about writing and rewriting and retelling stories passed across the network of the internet. And Brilliant. Fantastic. I'm not going to say anything about the, re- the, the one we just filmed. because Yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> no, no spoiler alerts. That's very but cool. I wonder, whether the, I wonder whether the format, that kind of chatty informal format, is also pulling out information that we might have struggled to get in more of a kind of long form formal interview. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a genius, Terry. Oh, it's not a one. It's accidental. Uh, The (laughs) next episode we are about to record will be the first time where we're chatting with someone we don't know as well. That's true. Uh, We're going to next one is the human mook with Whitney Kilgore. Uh, So that could be interesting. See how that goes. So you said there's some insights and some surprises to this that you didn't think that were there. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Like what, what kind of blew you out of the water uh, when you're doing it? Cause you're three episodes in and let me, and as you're thinking of your answer, let me say this. <laughs> uh, I've been listening to it from the beginning and it, it, I'll, I'll be honest, it blew me out of the water too. I didn't expect the format. Right. And, uh, and I have to say, I love it. I love it. And, uh, I did a, I did an episode with Alan Levine not too long ago and we talked about metaphor and story and the, the power that's behind that. And, um, uh, even in the TVET world, like trades and vocational education, that the, the power of the backstory of the students coming into TVET is just amazing, powerful, somewhat emotional for some and, uh, and, and almost raw, I think, I don't think there's much of a difference between the TVET and the academic world per se, if you want to split it that way, which I don't like doing, but a lot of people do. I don't think there's much difference. I just think the TVET world, we don't hide it as well. We tend to keep it a little more raw, but anyway, what, what were some su- surprises for, for you two? One thing that I'm enjoying, it's maybe not, uh, I'm just happy that it is similar to what I experienced in reading the book, uh, the original book, check the technique. Uh, there's two of them, check the technique one and two. So it's really, it's like you're reading chapters about, I guess it's maybe almost 50 different hip hop albums. Um, but one thing you see is same characters coming up again and again, like, uh, for example, um, uh, Del, the funky homo sapien, 
he rapped on this album, worked a bit with uh, Dr. Octagon, blah, blah, blah. And then he ends up in Gorillaz later, like he's coming and going or, or this producer, um, uh, a Q-tip from Tribe Called Quest. You know, he's uh, a huge influence in his own right from just that. But but he you, you see him um, not just showing up on other albums, but, you know, uh, helping the other people meet the right people and get into the right studio space and do that. That's cool. It's seeing the threads of the influence of people and just the activities of people. And I think we're starting to see that um, not necessarily in just the three episodes we put out, but threads of different people influencing other things. Like I'm sure Alan Levine will show up in three or four different episodes from all the work he's done. Uh, but also, um, you know, maybe Laura Gibbs work inspired another bit of work. Also, Laura has been great at like the reason we're going to talk to Whitney Kilgore is because she, Laura said she keeps thinking of these great learning experiences that have been out there and, and pinging them back to us. So like she's feeding us half the stuff. It's great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess channel. the tendrils <laughs> and that networking and, and just the effect that all those waves have is, is really neat. I think that's where the hip hop metaphor or, the, or the, like the book that kind of inspired this is really working. That idea that we're starting to see, you're right, Terry, people playing different roles and cropping up again, but, but some of the roles they're playing are analogous as well. So I was really thinking when we were talking to Mia and Alan about, you know, the idea of a producer, there was a, a person they described as being involved in the role you know and it really sounded like a kind of production yeah. producer kind of role absolutely so i think i think that the way that the hip-hop metaphor is kind of unfolding and revealing itself is also really interesting um, and all yeah, the different roles that are involved in making music and how they might give you a useful frame for thinking about making online courses yeah like so with netnar it's kind of like like a, a hip-hop album will be produced by someone who you know creates the beats and then there's the the mc the rapper who you know spits the rhymes so it, with netnar it's kind of like that you got alan as the kind of the producer and then mia maybe more the um they're they're both producing and they're both the mcs but um you can see those roles and yeah, and other things i've i've worked on alan with uh, another thing inspired by DS106, which is like the big behemoth one that we got to get to at some point that we're avoiding for now. <laughs> um, uh, um, I worked with him that was inspired by DS106 and also Nar was inspired by it. And um, he was such a, like, he's a producer. I, when when we recorded the episode, uh, the song I picked to play, I picked it because of the producer on it was this, you know, Basically, well, Netnar is about digital alchemy, which is pretty cool, pretty neat. And this hip hop producer was kind of like seen as a wizard. Like people couldn't figure out how he was making these sounds happen. Like, what is he doing? It's so amazing. So I was kind of thinking Alan Levine is the, his name is Jay Dilla. Alan Levine is the Jay Dilla of, of uh, e-learning designer or whatever, whatever you would call it. So that's why I picked that song. Like stuff like that is so fun to, to bring out and talk about. Digital alchemy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fun conversation we had with Alan and Mia. Oh, I, I bet. They were, they were all fun conversations. I but bet. 
they go in really interesting ways as well. Interesting directions. And it's almost like you don't have to do much. You just, you just kind of let the, let the door open a little bit and off they go. Right. <laughs> yeah. We have what, like five questions that we want to ask. And that Pretty one much, was an hour yeah. and 15 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. But if you, if you think about conference presentations and conference sessions, for me anyway, the ones I've enjoyed best over the years have been the ones where people have told you the story of how they did something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they've given you, you know, and, and sometimes the warts and all, like these are the mistakes we made. These are the issues that we found. This is how we overcame these challenges or this is how we... You, this is how we got there. And yeah, the story is compelling, but I always feel like those presentations are also to some extent, they're the gold dust of how you might do the same thing yourself. And we, I think our questions and our framework is, is just enough to give it that kind of structure that lets somebody just unfold and tell their story. And so maybe it's making up for all the conferences we're not getting to go to at the moment as well. <laughs> <laughs> Do you miss conference, not having a conference? Do you miss not I going? I miss conferences. I yeah. miss seeing people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but you know, that, that applies to every part of life right now. Yeah, I live alone sure. with two cats. <laughs> <laughs> Who keep eating all your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Who keep eating all my stuff. They really do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had cats too. And we had stuff go disappear. And it's like, where'd that go? Oh, Oh, okay. Then you go look where the cat usually puts stuff and you're like, okay, found it. You know, <laughs> like it's a love hate relationship, right? Like you just, you love your cat, but you hate the little idiosyncrasy yep. they have, right? <laughs> but, uh, wow, that's good. And so how many of these do you want to do before you pull the trigger on the book? Um, 25? I hope to, to work for other people. Yeah. We haven't talked about it much, but, um, uh, you know, maybe, there's some more free. Well, last summer was zero, like insane workload, but maybe at, like the ebbs and flows of the academic year, maybe there'll be time to like go back and like do a, do Laura Gibbs uh, read it out. I'm sure she'll be a great help in, in looking at it and um, having that uh, prototype chapter, get that done hopefully in the spring or something. And then once you have that structure, you can, it's not going to just be like fall in place, but it'd be easier to get subsequent chapters. But yeah, that's kind of like a yeah, looming thing. Sure. And, but as yeah, we've spoken I, to about before, the, the second book is better. So, we're, you know, we're going to have to do 50. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you do one with 15 and then the next one's 35, right? Oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> do a little pilot test with the first one. Wow. That's very cool. Um, so you, you mentioned something a little earlier ago, Amory, about the, the gangster violence of OER. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't get that, <laughs> that phrase out of my head because I think most of the OER people I know that hmm, I don't, I don't see them wearing like the gangster hat and, you know, and they're all doing all the signs, but uh, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? <laughs> I guess it was a, it was a kind of flippant comment because, oh. but yeah, I mean, I think in open education, actually, there probably are some pretty, um, well, there are definitely some factions and yeah. and sometimes some fairly ugly arguments. Um, I mean, if you look a little bit beyond OER and open education more broadly, and I think there's maybe maybe a generational shift happening at the moment as well, which is is kind of interesting. There are the you know the big names of OER 10, 15 years ago, and I get the sense that well, not even a sense. I mean, I think our 
our ideas about open education have shifted a little and where in the past maybe it was a bit more about focused on content and the ability to use and reuse content and, and kind of rights and ownership and permissions over content there's I think there's been a significant shift towards looking at open education through more of a social justice lens mm-hmm. um, which doesn't negate the need to think about content and ownership of content it problematizes it and as we all know in a Canadian context when you think about indigenous knowledge it massively problematizes yeah. it um, but but you know there are a whole bunch of equity and and inclusion issues around open education and what it can enable as well as what it sometimes shuts down and I think there are that's where I think some of the the splits of the faction are there are people who are still you know I'm in my little content space and that's what I care about and other people who are kind of like this is bigger and messier and I can't avoid it um I'm not I don't want to name names oh no 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 we're not a show of naming names but uh, I've seen some really ugly mailing lists about (laughs) <laughs> about CC permissions that right. make me want to cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, well. Well, and we saw, we saw the open ed conference last year implode in on itself as well. So that yeah. could be a good example. Ironically, that was my first open ed conference that I went to. And, uh, I'd never been. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I I'm a conference, it. I'm a conference junkie a bit. I've been, I mean, most of them are TVET kind of stuff. Right. But, uh, that was my, well, third, fourth academic quote unquote academic conference I went to. And it was my first open ed one. And I was super excited and pumped and I really didn't pay too much attention to all the back channel stuff. Cause quite honestly, I'm new to the game. So I'm, I'm not going to weigh in. I'm not, I don't know who's who per se. Right. I mean, I know some of the bigger names, but whatever. So I get there and then the bomb gets dropped. Yeah. This is our last year doing this. No. <laughs> I love that it was in Phoenix and then it was reborn with another committee the next year. It was kind of, you know, neat. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, just still going just with a whole different group behind it. Yeah, it is. But just to be selfish, I was just sitting there going, no, you can't do this. (laughs) Right. This is so cool. T-shirt. Exactly. I still got 450 people to meet, (laughs) but, um, yeah, no, you're right. And then, this latest thing with uh, Ian and uh, that other company that we probably shouldn't say out loud, right? Unless I bleep it out, right, Terry? <laughs> <laughs> the one who are surveillance technology, yes. The ones who are. Yeah. 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 That's crazy, right? Well, and that's kind of an existential threat for all of us. I mean, that, you know, beyond what's happening to to be in a shitty, no question. I mean, it's a horrible thing to happen to anybody in our community. But my worry with that one is if that if that case is found in any way in that company's favor, it will embolden them and it will embolden a whole bunch of other people as well. Um, and, you know, back to that point about about social justice and equity and inclusion. I mean, that lots of ed tech is massively problematic in that area. If we don't have the ability to critique it, I don't see how we can do our jobs. Yeah, I, I agree with you. At, the, um, at my institution, uh, everybody in the LT department was against that, that kind of surveillance. Uh, and it was faculty who kept pushing it and kept pushing it. Right. And then we did a pilot 
And then they found out a lot of the stuff that was going on. And then they're like, nah, we're not going to do this anymore. It's like, well, why don't you just listen to your LNT people? It's kind of their experience, their expertise. Like they've got some, they got some knowledge, some background here, people. But um, (laughs) yeah, and I agree with you. Like this is, this is like one shark takes a bite and the rest are going to see what happens. Right. And um, I agree with you that if, if that company wins, it's, it's going to be worse for all of higher ed. Right. It's just going to be the, Forget about opening the barn doors. They've just burned the barn down. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, yep. <clears throat> me, and I, I had Tannis Morgan on a little while ago and, and she said something interesting. Like she goes, this, so this company does business with higher ed, but they're going after somebody who works in higher ed. Like that, that, that just doesn't make sense. Right. But, and, and, you know, and they're not even going after an institution. They're going after a person in the institution. Right. And, uh, yeah. So all the more power to you, Ian, right behind you. And, uh, like I said on that podcast, Donate. yeah. <laughs> yes. Ian has a GoFundMe if, if anybody yeah. feels like they have some, I've donated three times. Change. So don't just stop at once. Don't. Yeah. That, and that's important, right? If you can do some recurring things, that's very cool. Yep. Just cause, uh, like when, when, so the teaching against surveillance, last month it was last month right yeah. 500 Hello. years ago last month <laughs> uh, a year ago now um was epic the best webinar on uh, ever made um but he revealed at the end not i don't think on purpose but that you know that's great we made the fifty thousand dollars and then with my own personal fifty thousand dollars i should have enough like and i was like no 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 no. that's not right you need a hundred thousand then this shouldn't put you out of pocket. It's already putting you out of, you know, all like, so I'll put all this stress and, and everything on you. Let's not deplete your savings. So his goal is 50,000 and it's over that, but the goal really needs to be a hundred. Oh yeah. I was in the same body. I listened to him and he's like, yeah, it's cost me 35,000 of my own money so far. And we haven't even gone to court yet. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, like just I don't know about the logistics of his home. I'm sure his wife is very, very supportive in all this. And it's like, okay, but I mean, 35 grand, my wife would string me up. Right. But yeah, you're right, Terry. This is, this is more than just a dollar value. Right. I mean, we gotta, gotta keep behind them. So I don't want to keep you too much longer. Maybe we'll bring you back for, for, for another episode. Cause that seems to be the pattern with this, with this stinking podcast <laughs> is we have somebody on and it's like, well, our, our hours blown by pretty quick. Let's, uh, let's bring you back. But, um, sure. If there's, if there's one thing that you'd want to leave me with to, uh, to look at, to read, to get more up to speed on what I can do in my practice in the open world, uh, what would it be? Uh, read Anne Marie's blog. <laughs> okay. Jack, Roger that. Oh no, that's yeah. Um, oh my goodness. Um, do you know if there's one thing I've learned from um, from just these these sessions that we've recorded already? Um, read anything else apart from online education books or blogs. <laughs> just go and immerse yourself in the world because it's the strangest things that have sparked people's imagination and driven these great courses and yeah. these great ideas. Just just go and look at the weird and wonderful in the world and, and see what sparks. And that's like, that's the benefit of the music. Like music has to be out there. So it's open in that way. 
So everybody gets to hear everybody's stuff. We don't get to see everybody's teaching and how they do it. So this is a way to have it out there. And that's the reason why hip hop can be so innovative and taking from here and there and there, because they get to hear it all and, you know, um, get inspired by it. That's very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to be a part of the podcast. Really enjoyed having you on the show. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Have to uh, bring you back. And uh, if you your if third you, third appearance, Terry, that'll be a wreck. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for the residuals. Right? That'll <laughs> that's right. Those checks will just keep rolling in, baby. <laughs>